This morning comes from Psalm 19, and we will read the whole chapter. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and it follows its course to the other end. Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central Church. My name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central Church. We're glad you could join us this morning. Um, as you have heard throughout uh, life of Christ Central, a lot happening in our church. Our uh, pastoral search team is beginning their work. Continue to please pray for them as they look for our next pastor. You see the, the move of Sunday, the fall ministry launches happening. Um, a lot of moving parts in the life of our church, as you also saw the flow of our church as we try to encourage you to move to the front, right? Uh, by welcome team. So please uh, bear with us and partner with us as we encourage you to come, not only come back to our service in person, as well as we gather to worship the Lord. Um, especially as we think about the fall season, we are asking you to uh, make recommitments to come back and join the life of church. I know it's been a very challenging season with COVID, and I know some of us are very weary of uh, other stuff that's happening, like monkeypox and all the stuff, but we are definitely working with our healthcare committee uh, to make sure that we are watchful of these things, but we also at the same time encourage you to recommit yourself in coming back as you get uh, back into life of church with the start of uh, the season for school, for as our children are going back to school, college students are going back or coming to college, as well as the football season is about to begin. I know that as well. Uh, as many of us are really excited about that. Um, in light of the football season that is about to start, one of the famous quarterbacks to ever play in NFL is Roger Staubach. He was a quarterback of the America's favorite team. Perhaps I should say it was back then now, not as much anymore, Dallas Cowboys, right? And led them to two, two championships. As glorious as this position of quarterback is, oftentimes they're the most highly paid, highly recognized. You see their faces all over the place. Uh, there's one struggle that Roger often faced. His position as quarterback was surely glorious as he was most visible and all the plays ran through him. However, he said as a quarterback, he did not call his own plays, especially back in the days, and that was a source of trial for him. 
because he had a brilliant coach, Coach Landry, who sent in every play in every time. And he told Roger when to pass, when to run, and only in emergency, in dire situations, was Roger could change the play. Even though Roger uh, would admit that his coach had a genius mind, when it came to play calling, he wrestled with this often. Later on in his interview, he would say, I faced the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. I believe we often find ourselves in the similar shoes as Roger Staubach was when it comes to obedience. And if we're truly honest with ourselves, our problem is not, not knowing what the Bible speaks to us today. Like a lot of stuff I will speak about today, you probably already know. Most of us know what God wants us to do, but the question that we often wrestle is not, do we not know what God wants us to do, but rather, do we want to obey what God wants us to do today? Do you want to live according to what God has intended for you, or do you want to live according to the ways that makes you feel comfortable or wanted? More often than not, we hear people say, well, I know this, but, yes, I heard this before, but, and we notice that this is not just an elementary struggle for young believers. Actually, in fact, it's more difficult for seasoned followers of Christ to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Have your way in me. Oftentimes, we have our own agenda, thoughts, set ways in our mind, the standards that we use by. We often, there's a thin line between our own conviction and prideful heart. And sad to say, it is true with me, as with many of us here, as we age, as we grow older in our walk with the Lord, oftentimes we get more stubborn in wanting to go our own way or the past way that has, quote-unquote, worked for us rather than willing to obey to God's command to today. The question is, why do we struggle to obey? It comes down to faith, isn't it? Question becomes, do you really believe that God has best intentions for you? Do you truly believe that God cares for you? Do you truly believe that God loves you? And do you really believe that God, God's way is better way than your way? Do you really believe that wisdom is living according to God's way or living according to your way? Do you know that human beings on the day that they live generally hear about 30,000 words a day. 30,000 words come to your mind every day. Many ideas are thrown at us. Just watch the news. And many ideas are thrown all around us at times. And maybe, just maybe, you and I sometimes treat the Bible, the Word of God, as one of them. An author of Live No Lies, Mark Homer, Mark, uh, John Mark Homer says, ideas have power only when we believe them. We hear all sorts of ideas every day, some brilliant, others ridiculous, but they have zero effect on us unless we begin to trust them as an accurate map to reality. And oftentimes than not, we put our own faith in our own ideas or the ideas out there rather than the ideas 
of the Lord, mainly the word of the Lord. So more so than listening to what God commands us to obey, we often listen to our own hearts or what are the, the ideas or sometimes the whispers of the devil. So in light of this, what we see in Psalm 19, a wisdom psalm, the psalm that deals with the word of God, this is what David, the writer of this psalm, tells us in verse 11, the highlight, the main point of this psalm. And this is what he says, they are a warning to your servant. And guess what? And this is a motivation he says you and I should have in obeying the word of God. A great reward for those who obey them. There is a great reward for those who obey them. And David aims here, as we sing this song, to reorient our hearts to desire more of God's word's obedience. What he's saying is, have faith in the word of God. Why? Because there is a great reward for those who obey them who listens, not only listens, but to obey them. And the question that you and I have to ask, answer is, ask is, what reward is he speaking of here? What reward is David promising as you and I live according to the law of the Lord? The reward here David is speaking of is what we will see today. But as we delve into the reward that Psalm 19 gives us, we have to define what the reward is. The word reward here in its original language is more properly translated as a consequence. An Old Testament scholar, Kyle Ehrlich, points out that this word describes a natural response or result that happens when we obey. Hence, a better way to read this verse 11 is there is a great consequence for those who obey God's word. Secondly, based upon this, when some writer David speaks of the reward here, it is not something that is earned by us, as in like we did this, so we earned this award. Rather, this is an idea of a gift that we receive. The consequence of obeying is the reward that we receive as we follow, naturally happens as we obey the law of the Lord. Now, with that in mind, we jump into this and see what reward that you and I receive in obeying God's command. What is David telling us the reward is for us as we receive and follow the law of the Lord. First, a word, a reward that we receive is reward in assurance. Reward in assurance. One of the, the pictures that you see on our sermon graphic here is a cherry blossom, um, Japanese cherry blossom. Every springtime in Japan um, is nothing less than magical, as they say. From late March to mid-April, the country's iconic sakura, cherry blossom, captures the attention of visitors and locals alike. Some of you know the famous DC's cherry blossoms, which actually has its origin in Japan's gift to the U.S. back in 1909. If you had a chance to see it or Google it, it's a beautiful scene. Streets filled with this beautiful creation lining uh, the entire street. However, it's not just the beauty that these cherry blossoms represent. For Japanese people, these blossoming cherry speaks of natural order of life. These trees testify to both birth and death, beauty and violence. Especially due to its short periods of blossoming, what Japanese culture believed was that this tree represented something greater, something deeper than the beauty itself. The psalm writer here shows us that not only the cherry blossoms do that for us, but entire cosmos, 
the universe, the world testifies to something greater to us today. Psalm 19 starts by speaking of the heavens and the earth and all that declares the glory of God. Verse 1 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. The speaking of the worthiness, the honor, the worship that God deserves. And going on to verse 2, David says, The glory on display cannot be oppressed. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make Him known. It pours out. It reveals itself to us. Furthermore, David proclaims in verse 3, they speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in heaven for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heaven and it follows its course to the other end. Nothing, church, nothing can hide from its heat. In speaking of the universal nature of this testimony, Reformer Martin Luther writes, there is no language nor speech where their voice is not heard. Fellow Reformer John Calvin echoes this by saying, the testimony of the heavens to God is, un God is understood by the people of every language and tongue. Apostle Paul quotes this very truth in Romans chapter 10, 18, when he says entire creation has no excuse to not to know God who created the world. God who created the heavens and earth testifies through creation that he is, in fact, the creator God. He makes himself known to the rest of creation, and nothing can hide it. You and I cannot get away from God's created order and God's created cosmos. That's what he's saying to us. And for ancient Near Eastern culture, and quite frankly, many of our culture today that base our faith in what is seen. That's why a lot of idols, as we see in the ancient Near Eastern culture, is made of sun, moon, and things that are visible, right? And for today, perhaps they could be replaced by 401ks, right? The jobs, the vacation homes, the business car, something tangible regardless. So what David does here, who is fully aware of the idols of the world out there that's based upon these created things, what David is saying to the Israelites, don't merely look at created things and worship them. Rather, these created things reveal to us greater God. You don't need no idols to satisfy the longing in your heart. What David is saying, the created order testifies that there is creator and creator is at work in this world. And not only so, this creator works in the life of you. This God is at work in you. So the first assurance, first reward that this psalm gives us is the reward of assurance of knowing this Savior who testifies to us in this creation. Your obedience is a natural consequence, natural reward that shows that you know that there is a gift giver behind these gifts. Christians, Christ followers, are marked by loving, obeying this creator and not creation. So this is what it means to live with this consequence of your life, church. Your life reflects not just an immediate gain, your next big house, even your comfort, 
Rather, your life is marked by what this creation points towards, the glory of God, which ultimately results in our love for God and love for others, in obedience, in humble submission, to consider others more worthy than you are, to live with conviction that, is, that says what is seen is not everything, that God is at work, even in our sins, despite of our sins and sins of others. So obedience flows despite the valleys because we have this great assurance that we belong to him. The whole creation literally testified to us today, each and every day, that God is God of the universe. And the fact that you are even able to obey the law of the Lord, that you're able to even sit here to live this life is a reward in itself. That's what creation is speaking to us. That God orchestrates all these things so that you are able to now, in response to his grace, to walk with the Lord. That's the reward, the first reward we see according to Psalm 19. The second reward that David shows us is not only the reward of assurance that this word gives us, but the reward in transformation. The reward in transformation. Rosa Parks was an American activist and civil rights movement best known for her pivotal role in Montgomery bus boycott. She's deemed the first lady of the civil rights and the mother of the freedom movement, and her actions echo in history, and rightly so. Her actions inspired many in his history and continues to inspire us today. But what we must remember is that uh, to not let her only one action cloud her daily walk with the Lord. You see, her moment of sitting on the bus didn't happen overnight. We tend to focus on one event, but what we see is years and years of her faithful walk with the Lord. In Soul Care for African American Practice, Dr. Barbara Peacock writes, quoting Rosa Parks, when she says, I like for the readers to know that I had a very spiritual background and that I believe in church and my faith, and that has helped me to give me strength and courage to live as I did. Mrs. Park's statement during her interview indicates her decision not to move on that Alabama bus was not a rash one, but rather a prayerful response. It was important for her to unveil her spiritual commitment. She clearly wanted people to know that she was a woman of faith, it was this faith, her faith in God, that empowered her to stand confidently against the spirits of adversity. Look at the enemy of segregation in the eye and declare before the world that we shall not be moved. It was God and God alone who gave her strength. God gave her spiritual insight and tenacity to trust him while he did his redemptive work in heaven and on earth. What a mighty God we serve. Amen. You see, it was daily meditation, daily obedience, daily walking with the Lord that prepared her for the moment. It was daily faithfulness, obedience that God used rather than her own action. We see the consequence, church, of transformation that happens through the Word of God is the reward that this psalm promises in verse 7 through 11. Verse 7 says, Instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. And as you listen to these words, I want to encourage you. Think about them. Do you really believe that? 
We read the scripture every Sunday from this pulpit, and I'm sure many of you read the scripture throughout your, your daily walk. The question is, do you really believe that, right? The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The law of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. You see, starting with verse 7, David, the psalm writer, now uses a special covenant name, the name that God reveals himself to Israelites in Exodus, the name that says Yahweh seven times. The God of the universe, the creator God, becomes a personal God, covenantal God, promise-keeping God to the Israelites. And he says, this is what God does with you. Yahweh does with you. And the main form of this communication of God, how he reveals himself, keeps his promise and promises that he will work in their life is through the law of the Lord, the word of God. And we know that this is not just Torah, the first five books of the Bible, but the entire word, the scripture that God reveals to us today. We know that this law is a comprehensive term for God's revealed will for us. And this revealed will of God has its purpose. Starting from verse 7 through 12, we see these descriptions of this word, what this God does. Verse 7 says, instruction, the law of God is perfect, speaks of how this is directed towards well-being of men. Verse 8 says, commandments are right. God's attestation about himself is true. Verse 9 says, laws are true. Precision, the authority of God is correct. Verse 11 says, the fear, the warning of law is clean and rules are true. And the consequences that flows from this law of the Lord, it revives, revives your soul, makes the wise simple. Rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes, endures, and righteousness lasts forever. Church, what we find in all these things is this great true reward, the consequences when the word of God is obeyed, the power of transformation. David is saying this stuff really works, right? Not because your ability to obey them or how many yeses you say to the Lord, but it is very word of God that can work and change in your life. David is saying there's power in this word. The testimony of God is true that this word does not just simply go and fall on deaf ears, but word of God has power. Not only created the heavens and earth, but he has power to work in your life, to transform, to protect you, to also prepare you for the work that God has called you for his work. Church, don't you really love those updates on your phones and your computers that happen at the right time, right? There's always an update, isn't it? But you know with its challenges, you want these updates, right? Because the creators, the makers of these updates know the codes, the language that they say. The developers know to fix the brokenness of your phone or your computers. They often say, warning, make sure you get this because this code will help you to protect you from the, uh, the crimes or whatever it may be. And say, if you want to use the latest gear, make sure to download and upgrade your device with this code. The developers or creators of these devices know exactly what codes to put in. The Word of God is God's code for us. So the obedience is being plugged into God's network 
through the Word of God, the natural consequences that come out is the change, the transformation, upgrades to grow. And what are these upgrades called? Growth. Growing in character. Church, do you know what God is the most concerned about today about you? Do you think it's what kind of church you attend? Absolutely not, right? How many people you saved? Not really. Like, what kind of champion are you? you know, what ideology or even theological stance? Do you think God would care so much about those things? In a certain sense, yes, but I don't think that is at the forefront of his mind. The most important thing according to Scripture that he cares about you is not what kind of job you have, how many kids you're going to have, where you live, but rather his focus on your character, who you are and who you are becoming, who you're meant to be. And the primary way God is going to transform his children, to grow you, to mature you in holiness, as the Bible says, is through the Word of God. And I love what John Mark Homer says about this. He says, working theory of the law of returns applies to spiritual formation. He says, sow so a thought, reap a action. Sow action, reap another action. Sow some actions, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny, either in slavery to the flesh or freedom in the spirit. And church, there's no doubt about it. Though you and I may not see it, each and every obedience, Scripture tells us, leads to your growing in character. Hence, even your mundane actions you make to obey, to disobey, carries eternal implications. It is not merely being a good person or doing the right thing, church. It has internal implications of saying yes to God's purposes, even in simple things as day-to-day applications and obedience to God's word. God is at work. If we're truly people of God's word, what David's telling us, is you walk in the Lord, he will do the work in your life. That's the gospel truth. If you truly believe the word of God has power to transform us, to change us, if we truly testify that God's word has power to save us, he will do the work. It is your destiny to walk with the Lord, and the natural consequences that flow out obedience to God's word is that you are becoming more and more and more like him in your character. Each step you take, you become more and more and more like him. So first two rewards, church, we see is that you know that this God of creation knows you. Not only so, the second reward says this God of creation is not done with you, He's at work in transforming your life. But I believe the final reward that we see here gives us so much hope. The final reward here gives us hope of perseverance, the hope that you and I need this morning. It's the reward of the promise fulfilled in our life. The promise fulfilled in our life. Verse 12 through 14. I know many of us love these verses. You may have not remembered verse 1 through 11. But I'm sure many of you know these verses. Verse 12 to 14, in light of this great promise of the word of God, is a prayer of King David. It says, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from all these hidden faults. 
Keep your servants from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I'll be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Here, David, as he concludes this great psalm about the importance of the word of God, and as he finds out more and more about who God is in his walk with the Lord, and he reveals more and more about who he is, we find this remarkable truth, remarkable prayer this king lifts up. He's saying the law of God, the law of the Lord, God's word, not only reveals to us who God is, so we could grow to become more and more like him. But what it also does for us, as you walk in obedience with the word of the Lord, it reveals to us who we are, who we truly are. John Calvin again says, nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, knowledge of God and of ourselves. Knowledge of God and ourselves. And as David here leads us in finding out more of who we are, He does not shy away from God to say, whoa, woe is me, but rather he runs to God in confidence. And seeing his sin in light of what God's law reveals to us, David continues to expose himself and further seeks God to bring light into his hidden places. In verse 12, he prays, cleanse me from this hidden hidden fault, since that we might not even have noticed. And the Hebrew word here aims at more of hiding than just from the others, but it's hiding even from your own self. Have you experienced that? The motives we thought that were pure, more marred in sin, desires and faults that only came out after a while. In verse 13, he declares, keep your servant from deliberate sins, arrogance and sins that we often disregard in our lives. All this accumulates to his prayer. In all he does, his words, his meditation, thoughts, and all those to be acceptable and pleasing to God. So he was saying, rather than avoiding sins, the psalm ends with offering back to God the mind's fitting response. It is element of sacrifice and worship. And in this, we find the heart that really understands the word of God and its purpose and truly understand the reward of God, running towards God rather than running away from him. More and more of Christ, less and less of him. More and more and more of obedience, not because we have to, but because we know that's when we find true life, hence the declaration, God is refuge, the rock, the champion, the redeemer. But here, church, I know we all know all that, right? <laughs> I know if you've been to church, you know all that. Listen to, listen to the law of the Lord. Obey the law of the Lord. I get it. Many of you know that, right? But here is where I find hope in this psalm. Not because the law does all these great things and we have to obey it, that it provides all these promises to us, but this is where we find the ultimate reward and the joy of obeying God's word, the consequence of obedience. What this psalm tells us, the prayer tells us, is that God will keep these promises of redemption, the renewing of our lives, the completion of our destiny, that He will finish its job through the word of God and you and I can persevere in faith until the end. Why? Because that's David's testimony, isn't it? 
even when he fails in his life, even when he commits adultery. Think about the times that David fails to obey. Honestly, I think if you, do, if you study his life, the author of the psalm, an author in the life of Israel, you could fill out more time that he has disobeyed God's command than he has obeyed. According to the law of the, law, uh, law of the world, we often credit people doing the right things more and discredit people who do wrong things more, right? We want people to do the right thing most of the time, and we're willing to close our eyes to perhaps a few things they did wrong. But if you examine David's life, this is his testimony. I committed adultery. I sexually assaulted a woman. I committed a murder. And in my pride, I thought how big my kingdom is. I show a false favoritism and let sin slide by in quietness and let his own family be threatened by his own son at his own fault. And David ran away from the Lord most of the times and oftentimes had to be pushed out of the, the throne, running away, sometimes pretending to be crazy to avoid dangers at times and cry out saying, Woe is me, Lord! Woe is me! But what this David learns throughout his life of darkest and the lowest point is that running to God is far better than elsewhere. Even after repeated failures, what he's saying is it's better to run towards God in obedience and submission. Even after repeated failures, it's better to turn towards God in humble reliance of his forgiveness. So what he's declaring is to the fellow sojourners, to fellow sinners, to fellow fallen people, the consequence the reward of what God tells us to do is that we find hope and that God will deal with us in grace. That God will deal with us in grace. And you see this time and time again. And you and I see this in the Word of God that became flesh. Not only was the Word of God given to us, but Jesus himself comes and displays not only the power and authority of God in nature, not only through the spoken word through the prophets, but this word of God takes on the human flesh, walks among us, and the word of God died and rose again to fulfill what God has been telling us all along through nature, through Israel's history, through the written testimony of his followers, that Christ is the answer, and he alone will save you. So when we talk about obedience to God's word, it's not just merely a bunch of to-dos. What psalm writer is telling us, it's rather banking your life on the very word of God that has power to save you. So this prayer is not merely saying, God, help me to do the right thing today and to obey and to have my quiet times, be nice to people. But it's a desperate cry. Do you see that? Saying, I cannot, but by your grace, I could come in humble reliance and obedience so that you alone can save my life. So despite my sin and sins of the others, I can find redemption at the foot of the cross. That's the attitude of Christ followers. Amen? That's the attitude of our heart's posture, position towards the word of the Lord, to the community of God's people. So when you and I sing this song, church, it's not merely checking off, well, I did this today. I came and showed up today. It's rather saying, I desperately need this God's grace 
the word of the Lord that must come into my life. It is life and death. And in Christ, I find eternity. And Christ alone has power to redeem, to change. To know that he knows us means everything to us. That's why David says the word of God must be obeyed. Great reward for those who follow because you'll find eternity in him. You know, every Sunday morning, without fail, without fail, church, my phone goes off with a text message. And this text message is from one of your elders. comes to me. Especially in this season of transition and serving as an interim pastor, his text is that of an encouragement, often citing scripture, also to remind me that it is Sunday and that he's praying for me on this Sunday. And his text reminds me of several things every Sunday. First thing that reminds me is that he knows me. He knows me not only because he's got my number to text me, but he texts me very early on Sunday morning. Well, he knows me because he knows that I get up early on Sunday morning to prepare and to pray. I also know him because he gets up pretty early in the mornings too. The second thing this text reminds me is that this text reminds me to stay humble. That no matter how great of an illustration, exegesis, or crazy insights, or even how terrible or how boring I may sound up here, it's a reminder that the power resides not in my words, but in the Word of God that could transform and change. Text makes me excited and expectant that God will do something today. But most of all, what this text reminds me, church, is that my elder is praying, not only for me, but for you all that gather, for this church, for Word of God to be testimony to those who are weary from a long week. Not just a sermon, but this gathering, singing, hellos, the welcomes, and all that happens. Children's ministry, youth, all that combined. All this to say, you and I can spur one another on again this morning to remind one another that God is at work and this journey is so worth it because God is in it. So this morning with the text, came a little bit earlier than normal. I got up, prayed. Not only for you to come to church because I'm a pastor and praying. It feels good to have you here. But you and I need this. I desperately need this this morning. To see your faithful faces occupying the pews. To remind me this morning, though I may be speaking, your faithful presence preaches to me. That God, through the seasons of darkness, through difficult seasons that you are going through, that you are not giving up in humble obedience, you look to the Lord. It's a testimony that I need to see every Sunday. And I believe this is the testimony that we sing about as we gather. Though we may not get together one-on-one -on -one to share, but as we sing this song on the Sunday morning, together, and to remind each other of a simple elementary truth. Love the law of the Lord. 
Obey God's command. Trust in Him. It's a reminder that God is not done with us yet. The fact that you and I stand today is God's testimony that He who began a good work will carry it on to completion. Amen. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray and let's obey with that in our minds. Father, that's our prayer as we gather this morning. Lord, we are people of God's word. And we know that, Lord, the word of God has life. And many of us that sit here testify to that truth, that this morning we gather to remember the work of Christ, to testify to the work of Christ, to the watching world. We give, we sacrifice because we believe in the word of God that testifies to us. But we also confess, Lord, it is a difficult path at times for us to fight the lingering sins of our hearts, to turn our attention away from us to the Lord. But Lord, we also have hope because despite the failures that you and I experience, we experience, we come to you with confidence and we could pray with the prayers of David saying, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, because you are our rock and our Redeemer. Father, may that be true of us. May our church, each one of us here, be marked not by how great of obedient people we are, but people that pray and sing this song all the days of our life, relying on you, the rock and redeemer, to make our words and meditation be pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.